expect bumps in the road, expect failures, uh, which may sound harsh, but they're the portals through which success comes and achieving your goals. It's almost like a rite of passage. So if you're kind of mentally prepared and you have the posture of, yes, I'm going to get knocked down 10 times, 20 times, but guess what? I'm going to get up each and every time. That's going to be the differentiator between you and everybody else. Are you looking to create more money, more options, and more fun? Hi, I'm Chris McCarron, and each week, my guests and I will share our experiences with real estate investing and do our best to help empower you to start creating wealth yourself. Welcome to Women Creating Wealth. If you're ready to get started, visit womencreatingwealth.net. For now, let's jump into today's episode. Hey, thanks for joining us today for the Women Creating Wealth podcast. Today, we have Amy Silvis, who is a woman who is definitely creating wealth for herself and her family. And she's doing it in a way that she's going to invite you or her syndicated company invites other people to come and share her success. So this is one of those ways that I was telling you that you can invest in real estate without ever wielding a hammer, fixing a toilet, getting a phone call from a tenant in the middle of the night. Amy, thanks so much for being with us today on Women Creating Wealth. Oh, what an honor. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to talk with you today and add value to your listeners. I know you're going to do that. So Amy, tell me, like, I'm, I, w- I always want to know how people got started. I know you're really successful today. Was that like right out of the gate? You were like, yeah, I got this thing. It took me 10 long years to break into this industry. Many attempts, many failures. Yeah, this was the opposite of an overnight success. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, then I want to understand, first of all, why you stuck with it. Did you, why you didn't just say, yeah, not cut out for this. Next. Yes. I, I, you know, I, I would be lying if I said I didn't have some of those moments where, you know, I try to live with some self-awareness and realize, you know, even this five foot two uh, petite woman can't play for the NBA. You know, we all have some limit. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think my why and my drive was so strong. Um, and I can kind of get into that if you would like. It's a little bit of an in-depth kind of situation there. But truly, I felt that there was no other option in terms of kind of the, the lifestyle and the goals and you know, what I wanted to achieve to impact the world with this vision I had for starting my business and breaking into this industry. So I think that why and that drive kept me going after each repeated failure. And so, you know, you have just reminded me that I did not read your intro. So people oh. are like, who are you and what it's are you okay. successful at doing? That was, that was a huge oversight. I never do that. Okay. So let's do that right now. Let's, sure. you know, make up that mistake. So if you stayed with us this long, I'm really grateful because you're like, who is this Amy Silvis person? Amy's the founder and principal of Silvis Capital. It's a real estate firm that invests in large multifamily properties in emerging markets throughout the United States. Wow, that's impressive already. For accredited and non-accredited investors, they appreciate investing alongside with her team to help them to take advantage of not only their extensive experience, but also their detailed research and exclusive relationships Silvis Capital offers multifamily investment opportunities without the day-to-day hassles of owning real estate while generating strong returns. And I know that's a lot of people's thing about real estate investing. Like, yeah, not really into the changing, you know, like, you know, no toilet working calls at two in the morning. So you don't have to do any of that. Silvis Capital currently has over 430 apartment units and $39 million worth of assets under management. That is amazing. So and that took two, 10 all years. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's all, <laughs> you know. 
So now that we know why you're amazing and what you've been up to, even if it's a little bit of a detour, explain that road, explain why, because, you know, like I said, I know a lot of people have like, they'll try something for a few weeks, a month, whatever. Like, oh man, I'm not cut out for this, you know, not, not doing it, you know? Yeah, it, it, there definitely is a stick to that <laughs> that sometimes needs to happen. So yeah, bear with me with this story. I'll, I'll, I'll be brief, but you can you can ask questions and dive in and we'll, we'll flow with Excellent. this. Excellent. But I was born with a genetic lung condition called cystic fibrosis. Oh, wow. So I was supposed to live to be about 16 years old when I was born in 1981. Um, my parents were told to take me home and cherish me. Uh, and spoiler alert, I'm going to be 41 next month. Isn't that fun? You're like, oh yeah, doctors. Eh. I love it. Yeah. I'm like the gray hairs, the wrinkles. I cherish them all, all of it. Adult acne. Let's go. I'm here for it. (laughs) I don't mind. Um, but I knew from a very young age, if I was going to beat these odds or the longer my life was going to be, the progressive deteriorating nature of this disease and the impact it would have on my lungs, I likely wouldn't be able to hold down a job. Part of the issue was really, I was in and out of the hospital, dealing with repeated pneumonia, et cetera, et cetera. So not to get too dark. Tell me though, because I know I've heard of cystic fibrosis forever, but I really don't know much about it. And I'm probably not alone in that. Yeah, yeah. So essentially it is a genetic disease. So it's it's autosomal recessive. So both of my parents were silent carriers of this deadly gene. And I had a one in four chance of, of getting both of those defective genes from my parents. And wouldn't you believe it? That happened. Lucky you. <laughs> I know, lucky you. Yeah. So um yeah, I grew up um without uh the ability to breathe very well. So I did hours upon hours of breathing treatments every day just to kind of function. Uh, The kind of excess mucus in my lungs, not to get too grody, was the perfect host for very virulent lung infections that could only be treated in the hospital setting with two to three weeks of IV antibiotics. And even doing all the breathing treatments and doing all the things that I needed to do to care for myself, Every year I'd lose lung function that I would never get back and I would spend more and more time uh, in the hospital. So I knew from a very young age that this was just kind of going to be my life and I needed to make the best of it. Which makes everything that you've accomplished, even living to be 41, like so much more amazing. You know, I don't detect any kind of discomfort or anything. Yes, October, 2019, the miracle drug that we had been hoping for, fundraising for, came to the market and changed my life completely. Um, CF is an orphan disease. So there are only 30,000 of us with it in the United States. So imagine you're a drug company. I'm not getting political. Let's just talk business here. Imagine you're a drug company. It takes $2 billion to develop a single drug. Are you going to spend that $2 billion on heart disease that affects tens of millions of people throughout the world, maybe hundreds of millions, or on a population of 30,000 people? I think we all know what that choice might be. So we came up with an alternative to fundraise money and throw money at researchers to try to develop this drug. And wouldn't you believe it? It worked. So yeah, my health is amazing now. I'm I'm so grateful. Uh, And that plays a role in this story of (laughs) finally getting into into this industry. Wow. Okay. Sorry. Continue. Yeah, that's all good. It's all good. So um, when I... I graduated high school. I went off to college, you know, not expecting to live this long, knowing that my fate 
uh, could, you know, bring me into lung deterioration and eventually, you know, not being able to trade my time for money uh, at a traditional job. And I stumbled across this idea of passive income. And I've always been kind of one of those you know, I don't want to be a burden on people. I don't want to be dependent. I want to find a way to pay my own expenses. My amazing parents, I'm sure, would have had would have supported me, but I was really eager to crack this code for how I could support myself even with uh, declining health. So, long story short, that got me into real estate. Wow, amazing! I don't know if anybody knows this about me, but I always had this idea that I was going to die before I was 21, and so that kept me from making any plans for my life. And you're just the opposite. I'm so in awe of you. I, let, let's be clear. I didn't contribute to an IRA or 401k. So I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't totally convinced, <laughs> but you know, the years just keep rolling on. It's like, ta-da, I'm still here. All right. What are we going to do? Oh, I'm glad you made it past 21. That makes me happy. <laughs> there was no genetic reason for it. I just couldn't, I probably just couldn't envision myself as a grown up. <laughs> yeah. Right. Who wants to be a grown up? Yeah. Exactly. I get it. Luckily I found out that was optional. So I'm good. <laughs> yes. Love that. Love that. So, but you, so you just said, okay, well I haven't died yet. So I'm going to, I mean, I, I know I'm being a little, this is probably a little gross too, but how, how do you make plans for your life when you really don't know if you're going to be around to see them executed? Yeah, this is the gift of this illness. And, you know, we, uh, you know, it may sound corny, but truly all, all setbacks, I believe, you know, have a flip side to them that are gifts. And the gift is just that ability to say, well, I'm just going to take the next best step and let's see what happens. Uh, and so I just kept doing that, went to undergrad, got a job in biotech that I loved. I didn't know if I'd be able to, you know, work or then got my MBA and then tried to get into this business. And yeah, there is a large amount of faith. And, you know, what else am I going to do with my time? <laughs> I, I don't sit still very well. I love to find ways to be productive. So let's give it a shot. Uh, and I think that served me well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, so you discovered real estate. You said, hey, here's something I've heard about. I can understand you can make some passive income doing this. How does that translate to 430 units? <laughs> yes. So if we think back to maybe 2011, I was still working a full-time job. I was in my early 30s, which I never thought would happen. Uh, I was still dealing with CF and all the in and outs of hospitals. And I had this bright idea to try to buy small uh, multifamily, three, four, five plexes. And unfortunately, I kept landing in the hospital. My job performance uh, kept suffering. It was, it was candidly frustrating. And, but I you know, pressed repeat about a dozen times. And finally, yeah, this miracle drug came to the market that gave me kind of the health that I needed. So I read a whole bunch of books in that meantime, you know, got a coach, got a mentor, kept practicing and uh, found a lot of connections and things finally hit. Only took 10 years. Yeah. But so 2019 is really when you started your business. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And you know, the fun thing, I mean, raise your hand if you remember March, 2020, that was a fun time <laughs> to have an underlying health, underlying lung condition, even with a miracle drug. Right. And like, wait a minute. I thought I got my life back. Oh, wait, stay yeah. home. Unbelievable. Yeah. You're a very remarkable person. I'm very impressed. Oh, I stand on the shoulders of giants. If you had any idea how many people have poured into me, doctors, friends, family, strangers, donors. I mean, it's just, uh, I'm truly the conglomeration of so many people just deciding that I'm worth supporting and 
keeping alive. But you have to decide that about yourself first. Very true. Very true. So in the last three years, okay, you had, you had your prep time for 10 years, but <laughs> in the last three years, what have you been doing to have accumulated this type of success? You know, for me, the, the biggest kind of pivot point, uh, even when I did have my health towards getting this business off the ground was realizing that multifamily investing is a team sport. So finding like-minded partners, not only that had the skill sets that complemented mine, but also had like-minded values. Um, I really thought I was one of the only people, and I was, that I knew of at the time prior to really intentionally networking that thought, hey, what if we treated people really well, didn't gouge people with rent prices, um, you know, responded to their repair requests in a timely <laughs> manner? As it turns out, there are other people that think, you know, it's great to make money, but what if we do it in a really great way and bring people alongside of us? So it was a huge pivot point to partner with amazing people that had the skills and the values. Um, and that really enabled us to have uh, yeah, the, the trajectory to take down several multifamily properties over the past few years. So are these, do you have a bunch of smaller, you know, like, you know, five to eights, or do you have some hundreds of, yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. First one was 58 units. Uh, and then it kind of went up from there, uh, 80 units and then kind of larger portfolios of, of 200 plus. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And now are they, how did you locate these, these deals, right? I'm assuming that they were they were yeah. good deals. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, it's all about relationships, right? It, it comes back down to, to people and networking. So really, you know, obviously brokers, you know, in the space, in those local markets and making sure they understood, you know, what we were looking for, but also going direct to seller. Uh, sometimes, you know, folks need to get rid of properties, illness, divorce, you know, just aging and the like. And, you know, coming in with the uh, attitude and the posture of let's make a win-win situation for everybody and, and being open to the possibility that all of us uh, can win and do well in a transaction, I think has served us really well. And the timing, I mean, I don't, I know there were people during COVID who wanted or needed to sell. I don't know if that was, did that impact your, you know, did that give you any opportunities? You know, ironically, we thought it might, it really didn't. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the debt market seized up, as you can imagine, kind of yeah. the, the debt market and what that all looks like, especially probably within the first six to nine months of the pandemic, uh, people were really kind of frozen in, in, in place. Um, and then, of course, there was the eviction moratorium. So I think that made quite a number of people. You made know, it messy. Yeah. You know, you don't want to evict people that don't have jobs. I get that. So but yeah, it, it was a nuanced thing. So I would say it was it was not as challenging as we anticipated, but it also wasn't as uh, kind of flooded with opportunities uh, as we anticipated either, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what are some of the, I mean, the majority of your business, the majority of your career, I don't want to call it career, but th this recent success that you've had has been taken place during a pandemic. What kind of challenges did, and or opportunities, because you, you know, you can't go see people, you can't run around. I mean, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So having an underlying lung condition, even though, you know, I was on this miracle drug, I still have permanent lung damage that I will never get back despite this medication and was higher risk uh, for complications with this virus. So yeah, it was, it was a tough and scary conversation to say to my business partners, you know, Hey, uh, I thought I could go do due diligence, due diligence on properties across the country. I can't. Um, and I had moments of, you know, are they still going to want to work with me? Just being candid and real here. 
Um, I'm pretty open with the illness, but I felt like I was kind of in a new phase of, of health where it wasn't really kind of this front of mind. Um, but again, you know, all of a sudden the world was cracked open to me in a great way, just via Zoom, what you and I are meeting on right now. You know, how do you develop a broker relationship with a broker in Tennessee when I'm in Los Angeles? Well, if everyone's doing things on Zoom, guess what? How much easier is it for me to be in contact and build a relationship if that's kind of the standard yeah. as opposed to kind of an outlier? So, um, yeah, and I had all the time in the world from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed. <laughs> what else am I going to do, right? There's only so many walks around the block and, you know, stuff you can do. So, again, uh, taking, a, taking and trying to find the blessings out of tragedy or, you know, difficult times uh, that was the pandemic. Interesting. And do you feel like, I know that there are some women who feel like real estate is a scary profession for them. They feel intimidated by the people they'll be dealing with. They feel intimidated by the whole idea of the property management aspect of it. I mean, how, how do you feel, have you had any challenges or, or I don't know, any stories along those lines? This can be a heavily male, older male dominated space for sure. Um, and, you know, kind of that old boys club, um, is definitely something I do experience from time to time. So I do want to offer, you know, uh, recognition uh, of that fact. Uh, but the really cool thing is there are women, uh, hopefully I'm one of them, I try to be one of them, that are so encouraging and have an abundance mindset uh, that seeing other women in this space, especially those that are starting out, wanting to help to give abundantly and know that there is plenty for everyone here. We don't need to all kind of cut in our corner and, you know, protect what we have, but we really succeed by supporting each other uh, unconditionally. So uh, that is really the culture that I'm seeing emerging over the past few years. And um, the secret is women do a lot better in this space than men. <laughs> I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm just going to say it. Communication skills, collaboration, teamwork, empathy, you know, I don't mean to kind of stereotype and, and all of those things, but I do want to call out, you know, those skills, uh, I think, favor women tremendously. And I've seen women succeed far and above. So I love hearing when, when women are interested in going into the industry. Well, and even I think logic, you know, like, and, and the, the, I don't want to say math skills, but you know what I mean? Like the, the business end of it, I, I do think we're better at that. Oh, again, not to stereotype or anything. Right. <laughs> yeah, but even taking risk and calculated risk and uh, even being willing to say, hey, I don't know and understand, uh, that's a skill in and of itself because, you know, it can be a right. little embarrassing. But I do find women are are humble and willing to say, you know, no one's going to change their opinion of me. I don't know something. I just don't know something. That's fine. I can ask. We're better at asking for directions. Oh my God. <laughs> That's a good one. Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. But it, so, it's true, right? We're not expected to be already like superstars. So we're okay to say, huh? What are you yeah. talking about? Will you explain yeah. that to me? Help me understand. I love it. Uh, I think it works massively to our advantage and I've seen it firsthand. Absolutely. So let's get to the... Um, nuts and bolts. Cause I'm sure that people who are listening are like, well, obviously she was a multimillionaire. If she started this business like this, is that the case? Like you spent your whole, you know, whatever, 47 years, 37 years, like saving up your, all your money. And then you just said, okay, now I'm going to start buying gigantic buildings. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Medical expenses are not high in the United States at all. Right. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> that's never been something I've had to think about. And LA is really cheap too. So housing has been easy uh, in that respect. <laughs> 
Um, what I really loved about this business model that I didn't really realize until I was in my early 30s is this concept of syndication. So coming up with the down payment and the capital expenditure budget to do renovations and such, it's something where we can pool our resources together, uh, operate together and earn a return on our investment together. So it really, at least for me, took out the intimidation factor. So each one of my real estate uh, and apartment portfolios has other people investing in it that get to benefit and you know build wealth that way. So when the SEC allowed this structure, it really cracked open kind of one of the secrets to the top 1% in terms of wealth building to the average everyday person. So yeah, I, I love that part of that other than, you know, of course, caring for my residents and, and giving them a great experience, being able to serve our investors and helping people, whether it's their retirement or looking to replace their W-2 income, I get so much satisfaction and joy out of that business model as well. This space that we were talking about earlier, I'm actually going to potentially have shareholders in this. And it turns out to be a really big deal. Like, you know, how many you can have and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And are your people actual shareholders? Are they investors? How does that model work? Yes. So this is a syndication uh, kind of titled by the SEC and it's heavily regulated, uh, which I think is a good thing. Some people gripe about it. I get it, but I think oversight's good, right? We yeah. we want to we want to be above board and have ways to verify we're doing things the right way. Yeah. But yes, we own the property in an LLC and our investors own a part of that LLC. So they are owners, they get the tax benefits, uh, they get yeah the, the distribution checks every quarter. And when we sell, they get a part of that profit as well. So is it almost, you know, just to maybe choose a a framework that people might be familiar with. Is it sort of like a, a like a mini REIT type of thing is along the lines of, of that? A little bit. Yeah. A REIT is, gosh, uh, a REIT is a little more removed. The tax benefits aren't there and, you know, it can be publicly traded. Sometimes it's not. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a bit more hands on, not in terms of operation, but in terms of kind of levels of ownership and such. I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah, you can think of it as kind of a REIT uh, in terms of shares and such, but um, it's a little less complicated. Well, I think a REIT, and, and you can tell me, I you know, obviously mm -hmm. don't know a lot, everything yeah. about your business model, but yeah. a REIT would be maybe more of a pool of investments as opposed to, I think yours, people are investing in a specific building. Is that, would be that Thank be you. accurate? That's that's spot on. Yes. So our investors do get to choose, yeah, per deal, uh, as opposed to yeah, investing in something that where you know they don't know necessarily where they will be investing and they're kind of turning that power over. Thank you for that. You're exactly right. <laughs> I that was just a stab in the in the dark. I yeah. just thought that that might be accurate. And then how about, I mean, as an owner, are you if if for example the building had a loss, would the owners have to like be like, okay, you know, I guess we gotta pay in fifty thousand this year instead of getting our what we thought we were going to get for dividends? Are you exposed to that kind of potential loss? That is kind of a yes and no answer. So the um, the, the first part about that is the investors are not on the loan. So in terms of liability, uh, asset protection, things of that nature, the limited partners, the investors are, are not you know liable in that sense and won't be, you know, they folks won't go after them in case, God forbid, something like that happens. Um, the other part is, and I tell people that are kind of looking at different, you know, people to invest in is part of one of the benefits of the people that I work with is the net worth that they bring to the table and the ability to cushion because of their own personal reserves and the reserves that we pad the property with for events like that. Um, 
at the end of the day, to be a little crude, our ability to continue to do this type of business depends upon our performance. So we have every incentive to not have to do a capital call, you know, have to ask investors for money. Uh, but returns, yeah, nothing is guaranteed in that respect. So sometimes there are some things that happen. I've had stuff like that happen where perhaps returns aren't as great or don't happen at all in a given quarter uh, because of unforeseen yeah, events. Because of pandemics and people can't pay their rent or and you can't kick yes. them out, right? <laughs> just to name for a example. Few. Yeah, just to name a few. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So then what happens if a person says, oh, you know, I have this life event, I need to sell my shares. Is that a, a possibility for them or they have to wait until the property is liquidated? Yeah, it is a possibility in the sense that if we happen to know someone who's willing to buy it or if, if they know someone that they want to transfer or sell to, absolutely. Um, our typical hold time is is around five years. So we try to you know, not make it overly long in, you know, because that obviously increased risks that yeah, life events can happen. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it is transferable in that respect. If, if God forbid, something like that happens, we do our best to work with people because that's the right thing to do. So when you said you also work with non-accredited investors, which would normally be, I don't know, would you just explain that for folks who aren't yes. familiar with um, the different levels, I guess you could call them? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the SEC, which I, again, I think is a good thing, uh, has different designations for people and therefore different kind of filings and classifications of deals like what I do. So a, an accredited investor is someone that has a million dollars of net worth, excluding their personal residence or earns $200,000 a year for the past several years and anticipates that moving forward, or for someone who is married, filed jointly uh, together with uh, their spouse or partner, uh, has $300,000 a year in, in income the past few years moving forward. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then a non-accredited investor, otherwise known as a sophisticated investor, uh, either has experience uh, in the real estate investment space or has the aptitude and ability to, to kind of learn Essentially, the SEC wants to protect people where, right. you know, someone like me isn't just taking someone's money from someone who can't, you know, or maybe just doesn't understand the risks uh, and such. So it's a good thing. Right. Where that kind of comes into play is we have two different types of syndications that we can do, one where we can advertise uh, and one that we can't. Uh, the one where we can advertise, you can imagine, is a little bit easier, but only takes accredited investors but we are really, really leaning into this concept that we want to make uh, these investments accessible to as many people as possible and, of course, as is appropriate. So we take the harder route and don't advertise, but do the, the syndications that take non-accredited folks uh, to be able to help them get into the, the real estate wealth building space. So then how can you let people know about that without, you know, quote unquote, advertising, just like quietly whisper in their ear at a party? Yes. Like <laughs> That's the challenge. Uh, it is it is really networking. Uh, it is word of mouth. Uh, it is just getting the word out there that yeah we we do such things. Uh, but yeah, you'll never see me on LinkedIn or on my website. You know, advertise a specific opportunity because uh, you don't have good health care in jail, and I still need good health care. So <laughs> I say that tongue in cheek. But yeah, we always have to follow the uh, follow the rules. So yeah, it it is really up to networking. So I would encourage folks that are not accredited or want to do something like that to yeah, get out there and, and network. And yeah, you will uncover some opportunities. I have some shareholders in this company and I only, I spoke to an attorney about it and it turns out that she suggests, suggests I only have five investors. 
So I'm like, well, then they better be good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I want them to be like very, um, I want them to be on the board. I want them to be very, you know, good business people and all this kind of stuff. So I'm thinking, okay, I almost feel like people should be giving me like their application, you know, like, yeah. okay, we want to be considered to be an investor. And I'll be like looking over their credentials. Would you be a good board member? And like, yes. I mean, but, you, but I can't just like announce it. Hey, everybody, I want it. So I, it's like, okay, hmm, I'm, I'm going to have to like, you know, like looking at people who I know who I think yeah. would be really good at this. And then I guess just have like private conversations with them or something. It's just, it's an interesting process, right? Have you ever done anything like that before? Gosh, I really haven't. You know, it's uh, it's kind of one of those things where I understand where the SEC is coming from. I get the spirit of it and, you know, the looking to protect people. But, you know, networking plays such a big role in, in so much of business, right? And maintaining yeah those uh those relationships and being a part of networks that other people are willing to, to help as well so in college one of the best books uh one of my professors recommended to me was by i think harvey mckay called dig your well before you're thirsty um i don't know if you've ever heard of it but it's a great book about yeah networking and maintaining those relationships uh which i'm sure that you do as well and so does the audience but it's powerful what that can help you achieve regardless of you know kind of where what business you're in or what you're looking to achieve yeah, interesting. And do you had you been part of a syndication? I mean, I, it's just it's a little bit of a unique, not unique, but to to just like out of the gate without ha- having really done this before to say, oh, I'm going to do a syndication. I'm going to create. I'm going to get these investors. I mean, it's just it's big, you know. Yes. I'm just curious about the process. Yes, I definitely invested passively with more experienced operators with that exact intention uh, to be able to yeah learn. And uh, it's that unknown, unknown process of being an entrepreneur, right? Where you at least want to have known unknowns that you can right. uncover and, <laughs> and hedge against. So yes, it, I was definitely familiar with it and wanted to do, you know, as much as I possibly could with, you know, my circumstances to learn the industry. And it prepared me so incredibly well, yes, to, to be able to do this on my own. Amazing. Amazing. So this is so fun. I'm really excited that we connected. <laughs> you, me too. This is fantastic. So now what's a typical day like for you? Have you, have you been able to start? Have you wanted to start to go out on site and like do your due diligence in person on some of these projects and stuff like that? And tell me what, what parts you love about this, about yeah. this new life of yours. Oh my gosh. So I am just now, what is it's May, 2022. So I'm just kind of now coming out of my cave, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. and actually my husband and I will be traveling uh, on site next week. I know. So exciting. There are properties we have not seen in person <laughs> and we're excited to, uh, to see. So yes, really love that. I, I would say, gosh, I love every part of, of this business. I really love market research. Um, there is something, I, I guess, maybe my analytical skills uh, just really thrive in figuring out, you know, where are good things happening in the United States? Where are people moving? Where are jobs growing? And how can we leverage that to, to get great returns? So it's part kind of Carmen San Diego traveling where in the world is Amy, but also part detective of, yeah, just, just doing that research and uncovering hidden gems. Um, and I think the market research is second only to the investors, the potential investors that I talk to, everyone has a story. Uh, everyone has needs and goals. And it is so satisfying to, I mean, one, just get to know people. Everyone's a friend. I just haven't met yet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I have a solution to, you know, for something that they're looking for. My gosh, what a great feeling. Um, Absolutely. I talk to folks that, you know, they're busy. They've got 
great full-time jobs. They've got kids, they've got hobbies. They've always wanted to get into real estate. They don't know how, uh, they don't necessarily want another full-time job. So yeah, to be able to offer something that may fit their needs is, is so rewarding. I can imagine. Yeah. That's fantastic. Now let's talk a little bit more about the market research because I hear people every day say, oh, I'd love to get into real estate investing, but there's just no opportunities out there. Everything's so expensive, right? So tell me how, tell me how they're, how that's not true or how you've been able to, you know, ignore those people and find some great deals. Yeah, it is. It it, it can be challenging, um, but it really depends on, on the market. And of course, you know, putting in those elbow grease, uh, putting in the elbow grease to, to build those relationships. I think the biggest tip I have for people is um, I think we're all drawn to these, you know, sexy markets of Austin and Nashville, or, you know, maybe somewhere in Florida and they're all outstanding markets, but there's a lot of capital out there, specifically institutional capital that doesn't need a return on their investment. They're simply looking to place money. And so competing with those folks is tough. So I hear what people are saying. My encouragement is, Go about 60 miles outside of the city center where maybe some other people that can't afford, you know, the big shiny apartments or, you know, something like that close, you know, to the inside of the city. But there are commuting patterns. There are people that are still benefiting from the great economic growth of the city, but you're not competing with institutional capital because they don't want to be outside of the city necessarily. So we found a lot of really great deals uh, that way and less competition but still great returns uh, because we're a part of kind of that MSA, that metropolitan statistical area uh, that shares the economy with the big major city. I'm thinking about during the last downturn, you know, there's this town Worcester, which it's about an hour um, west of Boston. Their prices dropped. So a a property that was selling for like $150,000 was now selling for about 60,000. So that was during the last downturn. And now, of course, so if you would have swooped in and bought that for $60,000, you are now seeing it's it's back up to like $180,000. Wow. Though you can't get those kind of returns in the city, right? Because things didn't drop yes. precipitously the way they did outside the city. And that's just, you know, 45 minutes, I guess, west of the city. And fantastic, still some fantastic opportunities there. Plus there are colleges there. There Ooh. are major highways there. It's a really fantastic town that, investors sort of started exploring when there wasn't a lot else going on. So, you know, or that when there weren't a lot of opportunities right in the middle of the city, but people looking at, you know, on their street and saying, no, everything on my street's really expensive. Like, (laughs) okay, (laughs) what about another street? How about another town? Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, there is kind of this notion and I fell into that as well of, you know, what's kind of near me and what, you know, what opportunities are there. And I think that's one of the advantages of multifamily real estate is being able to, you know, live where you want, but invest where it makes sense, which may be where you live, but maybe not. There may be other opportunities. And especially with this work from home movement, you know, not everyone wants to live inside the major city or the city center. So um, this kind of suburbia trend that uh, the pendulum is swinging towards a little bit, you know, tertiary, secondary markets. Uh, yeah. We're really seeing strong demand um, from people and, and incomes rising as well in terms of the type of people that rent there. So it's exciting. Do you have a, a profile, I guess I want to say, for the type of property that you're interested in? Yes. 
So we typically do 1980s or later build. Um, so we're not dealing with some of the galvanized piping and some of the electrical you know, issues that we see, not throughout the whole country, but a lot of the country in 1970s or, or earlier build. Um, we learned that the hard way. We had a pretty awful water <laughs> issue with one of our early 1970s properties that uh, could have been avoided had we you know, been a little bit uh, different in our choosing, but it's okay. It's always a learning experience exactly. and our investors still got a good return. But uh, yeah, so we do that. Class B, we really like to serve folks, uh, not necessarily that are the renters by choice. That, that's a great segment, uh, but they tend to be top of the market rents. And that's a really kind of a whole other dynamic. Uh, but we're really drawn to the folks that likely will be lifelong renters uh, that uh, want something that's affordable and safe. Um, and we can really, you know, some a, a lot of those properties need to be spruced up a bit in terms of new flooring, countertops, cabinets, and such. So to be able to do those renovations brings us a lot of satisfaction. Um, and then the purchase price usually between twenty to thirty million and two hundred plus units is where we pri primarily focus. So I'm thinking about the logistics of living in Los Angeles and buying a place in Tennessee and trying to renovate two hundred units without being able to leave your living room. I mean, can you just talk me through how you're finding good professionals on the ground to do this kind of work? Because people in their own town can't find somebody to come and change out their countertop. So, right. <laughs> yes. The real key was, I mean, a, the business partners that I have, you know, on the operating side, but finding a great property management company um, and baking into our underwriting and our assumptions that we will have to pay more for labor to be competitive and pay more for um, yeah, supplies and, and items that we need to renovate. So it, it has been a challenge, but we have found that being you know strategic in terms of the money we have allocated yeah. uh, and being able to treat the folks that are doing the labor well ha has served us brilliantly. And then of course the property management, they've got connections, this isn't their first rodeo, they know how to work through this and are on the ground uh, overseeing that. Uh, we cherish our property management company more than I can say. And uh, whenever, don't tell them, but whenever they ask for more money, we give it to them because they're <laughs> so worth it. Woo, they are. <laughs> so do you have one property management company that you use for all the different locations? Yes, we do. Yeah. We do. Uh, it didn't start off that way. You know, as we were growing, uh, you know, one of the things in the multifamily space is you get kind of the more units you have, the more sophisticated and scalable the property management company is that you can work with. So you know, the 58 unit space of so that first deal that he closed. Yeah, we kind of, you know, you needed to work with a, more of a mom and pop kind of local property management company. But once you scale, you're able to to get the attention of the more sophisticated institutional like property management. And they're able to or it was something we were looking for. They're able to to serve us across the country, uh, depending upon where we were buying. Yeah. That, and that seems like a great advantage. But when you had to hire the mom and pop ones, I'm just thinking of people who might be starting out. How did you go about recognizing that you were going to be hiring a good person? I mean, did you have, what was your criteria for hiring? Yeah. Values first. Uh, you know, they are how we interact with our residents for the most part. So, um, you know, stories like, oh, I showed up on a Saturday, you know, not every Saturday. I'm look, not looking for everyone to work overtime and right. sacrifice their work life balance. But if someone's willing to come in on a Saturday to, you know, attend to a resident that's having an issue that's, you know, more severe than normal. Yes, that, that's important. Uh, people that that understand that they can come to us and have the same values of, 
yes, money is important, profit's important, but we cannot get that way uh, unless we treat people like people uh, and don't kind of scrimp. So uh, in that respect, the values are really top of line. And then really understanding their philosophy about reporting, uh, about cadence, and, and really just uh, experience and recommendations from other property management those were all very, or excuse me, other property owners. Those were all very key to us uh, because we're pretty analytical in terms of how we how we manage things. So reporting out was was another key metric that was important to us. See, this is how women really do so well in this space, right? Let's <laughs> communicate. Let's you know make sure that we're not just like finding you know Jim's buddy here in Tennessee or whatever, you know? right? <laughs> Yes. Oh, I know Billy Bob, he'll do a great job. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, let's do that. We had a beer together on Saturday. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> I'm Googling on men right now, but <laughs> yeah, it's what it is. It's our time. Exactly, exactly. But also what you were saying about uh the whole, you know, when you factored in extra, uh, we factored in extra money for the workmen and extra money for the materials. And then lo and behold, in COVID, you needed that extra money for the materials. And rather than saying, oh, I think we can shave off and we can probably get by with this amount. That's one of the, those are one of the learnings that I got from being that passive investor for a while of, yeah, uh, it may mean not as many deals work, uh, you know, instead of analyzing a hundred deals and, and being able to buy one, it may be 150 and being able to buy one, but my gosh, does it help me sleep better at night because I'm not stressing about, you know, how much money we have and, you know, inflation's been running rampant, but we, we still have those contingencies and the deal still works for our investors. So, um, sometimes the harder road pays off and it definitely has in that respect. So what's your first trip? You said you're, you and your husband are going to see a place in person during this. Yes. We closed on a 220 unit portfolio in Huntsville, Alabama last Friday, the 13th. Um, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I know. I've never been to Huntsville. My husband hasn't either. Uh, maybe folks haven't heard of it. It is shocking. So a few fun facts. Highest number of engineering and advanced degrees per capita than most cities in the United States. The first commercial air, airport authorized by the FAA to be able to land space commercial flights on. I know. <laughs> Are you kidding? I'm not kidding at all. I had to, re- I know. So the Redstone Arsenal and NASA used to be based there. Um, and the United States Space Force, you know, that new branch of the military that just came out is being located there. Yeah, it's a fascinating, progressive area of Alabama. Who knew? Who would have thought? What? Market research. Now, can you see why I like it so much? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so we're going to go to Alabama. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> That's so fun. Yeah. So now you're going to go explore like space things and right. Check out the building, do some cool, meet some engineers. All right. Yes, exactly. One of our properties has a pond where residents fish in it. This LA city girl, this is very foreign to me. So I'm just excited to live. Yeah. To live the Huntsville experience. Truly. I, I all of this is, uh, is just a fun, yeah, a fun thing. So it'll be great to be able to go out. How has your, your husband interacted with this. Is, is he a right side by side with you or is he just a cheerleader? What's his yes. involvement? Gosh, when I tell you having a supportive spouse is a, is a game changer. He is the most mellow, supportive. I mean, you can imagine marrying someone at the time when we got married, this was a you know terminal illness. I was in and out of the hospital that really takes a special person to be like, yes, I'll sign up for that. You know, I'll tell you what, I went through it. I wouldn't sign up for this. <laughs> 
like, are you okay? Um, no, but seriously. Um, so he works uh, on the power grid out here in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. And his role is training new people and teaching them. And he is, he loves it. He is not, he's quite the opposite of like the big, scary, you know, guy that you meet right when you join your job. He's very thoughtful and compassionate and, and also a really effective teacher. So I don't know if he'll stop that job anytime soon, but he gets so much fulfillment out of it. Um, and just kind of looks at me like, I don't know who this woman is that I married, but yeah, go do whatever you're doing in real estate. So he enjoys coming along for the ride, but he's really not involved in, in kind of the day to day that may change at some point, but, uh, in terms of, you know, how we structure things, I'm all about him doing whatever makes him the most fulfilled and happy. Yeah. But you, you're right. Having a supportive spouse. I mean, I don't know how you could really become, you know, a successful entrepreneur if you're fighting your partner every step of the oh. way for freedom for, you know, like, yes. I, you know, oh, you're still working you know, yes. something like that. Truly, yeah. truly, truly. Yeah. It is. Uh, and I, I think maybe, especially as a woman, I don't know if you feel the same, but you know, we're at least maybe culturally not seen as, as always the entrepreneur, maybe in some men's eyes. So, you know, especially finding, yeah, a guy that's like, yeah, I'm not intimidated by what you're doing or, you know, you starting a business like, oh yeah, go do your thing. Uh, to me, that's a rare find. Maybe I'm not running in the best circles, but I'm no, very it, it, it is a rare find. And you know yeah. what else? Even someone who truly loves you and wants to support you could legitimately be saying, but honey, you know, I want you to stay healthy. You know, is it good for you to be doing this and getting so excited and traveling and right? I mean, yep. yeah, a lot could go wrong there. So yes, give him a big hug. And <laughs> <laughs> I will. I'm going to have him listen to this too. He'll love that. Awesome. Love you, Joel. <laughs> so what about, I mean, there's so many different things we could talk about, so many different angles, but I want to kind of focus on things that could help people yes. the most. And, and so there's two angles of that, right? There's, they could be helped by potentially, you know, maybe getting involved in, you know, your syndication or a similar scenario, or they could be helped by trying to do something like this on their own. And I guess that's the more exciting piece of it. So let's say that, you know, someone's listening to this and they're like, all their lights are flashing and they're going, Oh my God. Oh my God. This is it. This is so fun. I'm so excited about this. How can I like, what's a step that I could take that could, you know, potentially launch me into this type of success that you're finding. And that's the key, right? Taking action, taking that next best step, because it is, if you're anything like me, having big goals can be overwhelming because you know, you know, it's going to take some work, right? It really is. Um, and the best piece of advice uh, I ever got, and it may be obvious to everyone, but I think it's worth repeating, is just what is the next thing you can do? So I think reading and self-education, you know, whether you're looking to start a business or just looking how to manage your own money as a woman or, you know, whatever that looks like, yeah. uh, self-education is incredible. So books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad uh, by Robert Kiyosaki uh, can really help set up that framework or his business partner, Ken McElroy, the ABCs of real estate investing. Um, all of those are just paradigm shifters, I think, that really help you know, conceptually help you understand how to, how to think through things, but also tangibly help you see what can happen when you enter this space and kind of overall tips and tricks to break into the industry. Well, key things too, of what you had said before is not just relying on everything going perfectly well, right? If you decide that you, okay, I want to do this thing. And I remember the first business plan I ever did, right? I mean, granted I was young, but so I was like, okay, month one, 
you know, sell $200 worth of stuff. Month two, those people all reorder. Plus I get 200 more customers, right? $200 worth of more customers. So I started out at $200 a month, but by the end of the year, I was making like a million bucks. Like, sure. Cause everybody's going to reorder every single month. And then everything's just exponentially. No. What about, yeah. And, and talk, do you have a coach? I did. I did. It was something I really wasn't sure would be for me. You know, you hear these gurus and you're like, is this legitimate? This seems a little expensive, but, uh, I think that mindset, you know, the combination of, yeah, someone who's done what you've done before success leads clues as one of my coaches, Trevor McGregor says, (laughs) Um, but yeah, really being able to, to see the path, uh, laid in front of me that other people have done. And then, you know, really that mindset, because our minds can play tricks on us and, you know, evolutionarily, I think we're, we're wired for safety or a lot of us are so, but that doesn't necessarily serve us. So having someone that can, that can encourage and and bring us back into reality, um, is, is incredibly powerful. Yeah. So true. And, And as you say, someone who's done it before, right? You can, sure, you can do everything yourself, start to finish, but all the mistakes that you need to make in order to, like, even you were saying that, you know, being involved in someone else's syndication allowed you to see what they were doing wrong and saying, okay, right. Note to self, don't do that. Right. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Even that is in a, in a way, a form of mentoring because you're observing someone else, right. Doing the job that you want to be doing. So without a doubt. Yeah. We, we do have several investors too, that invest for that exact purpose. They're not going to be lifelong passive investors, but they're really learning to set themselves up for, for their venture, which I think is awesome. I think it's, it's fantastic. A fantastic it's fun, thing. right? Yes. Like, yeah. And then we do this and then we do this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's more than enough for everybody. And the more people we help, uh, the more goodness comes. So it's a blast. Is there one or a couple of qualities that you have or something about you that you think made you sort of uniquely um, set up or able to do this successfully? Mm. Or I could even say, what's one thing that you've learned that you think has made like a huge difference in allowing you to be successful in this? Yeah. So because CF is genetic, I'm an only child. Uh, My parents didn't want to have another kid uh, with it, you know, especially given the prognosis when I was younger. Right. And because CF has so much kind of home and self-care, I mentioned those breathing treatments and exercise and diet so much of my ability to be a person and function relied on me. No one can do breathing treatments for me. No one can exercise for me. Um, so I've kind of been drawn to, and it, you know, just operated of, okay, I'm going to go do it. If something needs to be done, I need to go do it. So I think, yeah, the, the biggest learning for me that really changed my entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial journey was realizing I needed a team and it was okay to be like, Hey, I need help. Hey, I don't have this skill. And that doesn't mean I'm failing or I'm bad or anything like that. It means that I'm a team player and um, recognizing that this is a team sport. We all succeed together. So maybe not the most flattering assessment of myself, but it was the truthful pivot points and having that self-awareness, thank goodness, that finally came, helped tremendously. Yeah, I think that's such a hard thing, especially for an entrepreneur who, you know, right, we're all about you know, the scrappy, you know, I'm going to do all this stuff myself. And, you know, and then you just stop and say, well, okay, sure. I can do it myself or I can save four years of, (laughs) you know, drama and anger, you know, anguish and actually help ask someone to help me who's done this before. Right. (laughs) Oh, that's a tough one, but it's so true. It just is. 
yeah it's a tough swallow but yeah exactly yeah. once <laughs> once you do it you're like yeah okay that was the right move <laughs> yeah yeah that was the pivot point thank mm. goodness it was sooner rather than later yeah, or maybe definitely. not but <laughs> <laughs> so amy I have really loved talking with you today. And I know, I mean, we've talked about all kinds of different things, but is there something that you wish that we would have talked about something you wish I would have asked you or something you're dying to share that we didn't get into? You're a great interviewer. So I can't think of anything Thank off you. the top of my head. You've asked some really poignant questions. Um, I think maybe just one last thing that I would say that was really eye-opening to me. And I don't know if it was just how I was raised or the culture I was around or if it's the American culture, but this, this, um, this propensity to think that the journey needs to be smooth. And if it's not, we're doing something wrong or uh, maybe we're not fit for something. It really is a disservice to all of us. So shifting the mindset that I would encourage everyone to have of expect bumps in the road, expect failures, uh, which may sound harsh, but they're the portals through which success comes and achieving your goals. It's almost like a rite of passage. So if you're kind of mentally prepared and you have the posture of, yes, I'm going to get knocked down 10 times, 20 times, but guess what? I'm going to get up each and every time. That's going to be the differentiator between you and everybody else chasing your dreams. So it is not a sign of failure. It's not a sign that you can't do something. It is quite literally part of the journey. So if you can understand that, uh, everything you want is on the other side of that and that fear. You know, that's a fantastic point because, you know, at the beginning I said, I know a lot of people who've like, they tried something and it was like, oh, that was really hard. I don't think I'm cut out for it, yeah. but then they'll go and try something else and spend a few months doing that. And then they'll just try something else and gee, everything's really hard. Okay. I guess I'm not cut out for this. And I guess I'm not cut out for that. If they just would have continued on with one of their very first attempts, then they would you know, yeah, there'd be some really hard points and then there'd be some really great points when everything was really sailing. And, and eventually that's how you succeed is this persistence, you know, Napoleon Hill is always talking about persistence, but it's so true. I mean, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people who have found success because they just kept trying again, like, oh, okay, that was a fantastic, but not very pleasant learning experience. <laughs> so now I know something I didn't know before, and I'm going to use that information to go and do this again. And this time it's going to be better. The gifts of failure. I'm telling you. Yep. It's hard. We don't see it on social media, right? We're not, we're not seeing the, no one, no one goes on Instagram hoping to see everyone's struggle and misery and all that. Right. So what's wrong with me? How come I'm not successful? Like X, Y, Z person, like, exactly. Oh, who, who didn't bother the to post for the last six months because they were having a really horrible experience. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Let, let, let's keep it real. And part of that means, you know, we get to encourage people as they hit those, those bumps. So absolutely. Absolutely. So in, in parting, uh, Amy, I, I really love talking to you. I think I already said that before, but I think you're fantastic. I love your energy. Um, is there like one thing or a couple of things that you could um, advise people to like go do today that they can, that would just kind of set them up into the right mindset for being successful in something that they maybe have always wanted to do? Yes. Write down your goals. Uh, I've always thought something like that was a little corny. You know, why would someone tell me that? I know my goals. Why am I writing them down? Our mind is only able to pay attention to a certain number of things. If we took in every little detail of what was going on about around us every day, we'd go, you know, a little insane. So 
our ability to point our mind and instruct our mind on what to focus on uh, and kind of the glasses, if you will, through which we see the world, we can prime our minds by reading our goals every morning that we've written down and our mind will pull and pull in, you know, some of the, the, the ideas and occurrences and networking around us uh, that we otherwise might not have noticed because our brain just simply wasn't uh, primed or put in a position to, to notice. So I think that's one of the biggest things I can recommend is writing down your goals, review them every morning. Uh, if you've ever read uh, Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod, uh, it's probably one of the best books I could possibly recommend because that morning routine and how it can change uh, how you run the rest of your day uh, is just so powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amy, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. This is an absolute joy. Oh, I have had a great time. And thank you, listener, for being a listener. And I know that you got tremendous value from Amy. And so think right now, who can you forward this to? Who can you share Amy with? They're going to thank you a hundred, you know, they're going to take you to lunch after they hear Amy. Cause they're going to be like, Oh my God, thank you so much for sharing Amy with me. <laughs> thank you again, everyone. Then thank you so much. Thanks. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of women creating wealth. For more info, be sure to check out womencreatingwealth.net. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and consider sharing the wealth with someone else who might enjoy it. See you next week.